good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 9, and let's read together from the verse number 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets, and said unto him, Gird up thy loins, and take this box of oil in thine hand, and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when thou comest thither, look out there Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in, and make him arise up from among his brethren, and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil, and pour it on his head, and say, And thus saith the Lord, I have appointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door, and flee, and tarry not. So the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captains of the host were sitting. And he said, I have an errand to thee, O captain. And Jehu said, Unto which of all us? And he said, To thee, O captain. And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord, and the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab him that pisses against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ajah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord, and one said unto him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? And he said unto them, Ye know the man and his communication. And they said, It is false, tell us now. And he said, Thus and thus spake he to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then they hasted and took every man his garment, and put it under him on the top of the stairs, and blew with trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. I want you to think back to the last time we were together studying this portion of Scripture and recall how Haziel was chosen of God to be the instrument in God's hand for the judgment of the house of Ahab. That was the account of 2 Kings chapter 8 and the opening section. Remember Ahab back to 1 Kings 16. He is that wicked king who, of course, Elijah deals with in, in much detail. But if you turn back to 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, here in the ministry of Elijah, you see a very important chapter, a very important uh, matter in light of this portion, 2 Kings chapter 9. Elijah has just had the highlight of Carmel. Uh, there is certainly a challenge in his experience regarding his God. And the Lord comes and encourages him. And he gives him instructions to do. He tells him, in verse number 15, that he is to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And the Syrian king is going to be an instrument in God's hand to judge Ahab's household. And then he's told in verse 16, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. 
And Elisha, son of Shaphat, shall the anointed be prophet in thy room. So there are these three individuals. You have Haziel, Jehu, and Elisha to be used of God to bring judgment upon the house of Ahab. And so verse 17 of 1 Kings 19 tells us that those who escape the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. God was going to judge Ahab's household for his wickedness, for the actions of his wife. And it says in 2 Kings 9 verse 7, for the blood of all the servants of the Lord. God is going to work. He's doing his will. And yet it was not immediate. There's a time scale. There's a, there's a time that passes. The judgment was stayed. And you can read this due to Ahab's remorse. And yet God continues to do his will in his perfect time. And so keeping that in mind, we come to this chapter 9 of 2 Kings. And I think, in essence, it is a chapter that indicates Elisha's retirement. He's retiring from public ministry. We don't read of Elijah, Elisha again uh, until the events surrounding his death. And so it is supposed that there was this period between his retirement here and then later on the events pertaining to his death. But though he comes and retires, God is not left without a witness as Elijah's ministry continued in Elisha, so the ministry of the prophets continue here. Elijah was to anoint Elisha. Elisha was to then deal with Jehu. And here we find that Elisha passes that task on to this unnamed prophet in verse 1, the one of the children of the prophets. That's what's happening here. The baton is passing on from one prophet to another. Jehu is going to be anointed as king, and he is going to be the instrument of God in bringing judgment upon the house of Ahab. And in fact, that's what you see all the way through to the end of chapter 10. Jehu performs his evil acts. He is a man who acts in evil. And you'll see in 2 Kings 10 and the verse number 28, thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. And so he does good, but his good is not impurity. He's not a righteous man, but he's performing the task that God has for him to do. He's doing God's will. But he's responsible for his own actions of wickedness. Jehu and his colleagues had no time for Joram. Joram was the second son of Ahab who ascended to the throne. And verse number 14 of 2 Kings 9, Jehu, the son of Joshua, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Okay, so you're getting some of the context here. Joram has ascended to the throne. He's of the son of Ahab. And Jehu is now going to bring judgment upon the house of Ahab, in this time in the person of Joram and his family. And so when Jehu hears the message, you're going to be king, what happens is that he then comes and deals with the matter. He gets immediately to his task. He gets stuck into what he's doing, and he goes about the business of conspiring against Joram. God will not be mocked. I'm not going to read 2 Kings 9 and 10, but there are some, uh, some very serious uh, matters there. And what you're seeing is that God is a God who will not be mocked, and what you sow, that is what you reap. 
And Ahab comes under the judgment of God and his family is removed, as it says there in verse 8, for the whole house of Ahab shall perish. That's the historical context here. Elisha passing on the mantle, the task to this unnamed prophet, gives him the task of anointing Jehu, and Jehu then is used of God to perform his will. What does it teach us, though? If that's what the message is all about, well, is there a lesson that we can learn from this that will be edifying for us here tonight in God's house? Well, I thought the theme that might benefit us is this theme of Elisha's retirement. What do we learn from his retirement? Or perhaps more to the point, what do we learn about how God passes on his word? Because we see that here. There's a passing on of the word from one generation to another. And that's the first thing I want to note with you tonight. God's word will continue from generation to generation. The Lord's word in this instance is a message that is given to one person, namely this man, Jehu. Now, as often the case in the Hebrew narratives, we have a summary given at the start, and then we have the fuller message later on in the text. The summary is verse number three. I have anointed thee king over Israel. That's the, the summary of what this man is to tell Jehu. The, further, the fuller version is verse six through 10. And there are the details regarding God avenging the blood of the servants of the prophets uh, through the, uh, the act of Jehu, that wicked work done by Ahab and Jezebel. Well, that's the full version. But what is interesting is that these verses, verses 6 through 10, are almost word for word the words of Second, or sorry, First Kings twenty-one and verse twenty through twenty-four, and they're the words. They have been words that Elijah has, and thus we see that God's message to Jehu, given to Elijah, was passed on to Elisha, and is now passed on to this young prophet. The word is passed from generation to generation. It's passed along down the line. And it's a wonderful illustration of God's method at all times. There is the faithful transmission of his word. His word is not altered. It must not be altered. What God says must be passed on from generation to generation. And at the same time, that is passed on through the faithful training of the messengers. The message continues as the messengers are trained. This task, verse 1, is given to one of the children of the prophets. It's a term we've seen before. The sons of the prophets or the school of the prophets. It refers, I believe, to those who have come to know Jehovah and then in turn were then instructed under the feet of the prophets. Turn back to chapter 4 just to see one instance of this. Second uh, Kings 4. And the verse number 38. It says, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And it is that image of the senior prophet teaching the younger prophets that gives us this principle of the message being passed along. From generation to generation, the word is faithfully transmitted and the messengers are faithfully trained. And that is God's method. It's always been God's method. 
You turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and you'll see how Paul describes the message that he has to pass on. Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Christ made known to Paul the mystery. And you'll know from the language of Paul elsewhere that mystery, verse 4, is the mystery of Christ. It is the revelation of the gospel. Passed to Paul by Christ. And Paul viewed that as a dispensation, verse 2. And that means as a stewardship. Something entrusted to his care. And a stewardship is something that Paul held so dearly that he would ensure that he passed it on properly. And that's what we saw uh, just this past Lord's Day, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The stewardship that Paul had, he took tremendously seriously, and he made sure that he then passed that on. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Well, who taught Paul? Oh, it has been told. Ephesians chapter 3, he received the revelation from Jesus Christ. And that which he heard, the same, Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Generations here. Christ to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. There's a passing and the perpetuing, perpetuation of the word of God from one generation to the other. And so when you think of that, and you know that principle very, very well, well, I, I just thought I would, I would just state a number of important implications from that. Things that you should think about and indeed pray over. We should be encouraged that God's word will never perish, but is preserved from generation to generation. As our confession of faith says, the word of God is kept pure in all ages. That's something I encourage you to learn, that the Word of God is kept pure in all ages. And there are times where we turn on uh, your computer perhaps and you read the news or you see the television screens and you wonder, these are confusing days. But you know what? You get your Bible, you pick up your Bible, and you will find your Bible has not changed. And though the world is changing, the message of the gospel is unchanging, and it passes on from generation to generation, which means that in God's sight, this book is still relevant. And it applies today as much as it did to Martin Luther, and it will apply in hundred years from now as the Lord tarries. Keep that in your mind. Believe that no matter what happens in this changing world, you have a book from God that is implicitly relevant. And we delight in that. The fact we have it means it's relevant. And it's relevant to us because God has given it to us. So be encouraged. Be thankful. Be thankful for the past. Old books. Old books are going out of fashion. I want to encourage you to be a reader. To be a reader of old books. Because one of the ways that God passes on the message is by entrusting faithful men with his word in previous generations. 
And under God, they committed their understanding of the Word of God to writing, that it would be passed on from generation to generation. And so, yes, we delight in the value of private Bible study, but we should not forget that others have also engaged in the same. And they came to see things in the Word of God. They wrote down, and we have that to study and benefit from. Don't despise old books. I commend your attention again, the books in the far uh, back of this church. Encourage you, go there, take one, read it. See what others have learned in the Word of God. And then use that to then pass that word on to another generation. You see, we are those who must be submissive to old truth. There is nothing new under the sun when it comes to the word of God. And there's always a very dangerous thing when a preacher stands up and says, I saw something new today in the Bible. Now, it might be new to them, I accept that. But if it's new to everybody else, then they haven't seen it at all, more than likely. What's in this book has been seen for generations. And generation by generation have studied the Word of God and they've come to understand the same truths that we hold dear. There is no place for novelty in the pulpit. We are those who submit to the Word of God and we delight in the Word of God. And it is passed on. And so pray for our seminary. Pray much for our seminary. It is our duty as a people to pass on the Word of God to a new generation. Pray for the men whose task it is to appoint others, faithful men, to teach others. Denominational decline invariably begins in the Bible college and the seminary. Whenever a denomination goes bad, you can almost always trace that to some declension in the Bible college. So pray for it. Pray that God will keep on this matter of preserving his word from generation to generation. So that's the first thing to note. God's word will continue from generation to generation. Elijah, Elisha, and then to this young prophet. But the second thing to note is that God's word is entrusted to faithful messengers. Now this, this young prophet is a wonderful illustration of what it is to be a messenger of God. And as I thought of this young man today, I thought I would encourage you. In two ways. One, pray that our ministers would be like this young man. And pray that God would raise up other young men who will serve as this young man served. There are things here that we see very clearly regarding the future and the needs that we have in the work of God. We want messengers, first of all, to be sent. Elisha, verse 1, called him, said to him, gird up thy loins and go. Here's a man sent on a commission. And we saw this last Lord's Day. The apostles were those who were commissioned for the task. It's the false prophets in Jeremiah 23 who ran but had not been sent. The true prophets are those with a true word who've been sent of God to communicate that word. And I remind you again that God calls men to be his messengers by compelling them with a burden for the word and also by commissioning them in connection with authority. This man is not self-sent. He's sent by the authority, namely Elisha. And in our day, that authority sits within the body of God's people, namely the church. And the church recognizes gifts and confirms the gift in those who feel that compulsion and then sends them out into their task. And I'm not going back over that material. And we saw that last Lord's Day morning. He must be a man who's sent. He must be a man who is faithful. 
He must say what God says. He must communicate the word that God gives and not the word of his own imagination. A sent man, a faithful man, a bold and fearless man. Look at verse 4. So the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captains of the host were sitting. I don't think, judging by their future action, that this is a band of people sitting drinking tea. There's a band of fearful men who had risen to this place of prominence more than likely because of their willingness to put anybody to death who got in their way. And yet he's coming and he's got a word from God. These people don't believe in the Lord. They've heard of the Lord, but they have no personal acquaintance. They have no faith in God. And yet he's going to say to them, there's a word from God. They view him as a mad fellow. They have no time for this man, and yet he must stand and give the word of God. He must be selfless. Try to figure out, why is he told to flee, verse number 3? Open the door and flee and tarry not. You've got the same thing in verse number 10. And he opened the door and fled. I'm just suggesting this, but I think there's some substance to it. I think he's told to flee in order that he does not begin to try to get a position in a new kingdom. I'm the one who brought the word predicting what's going to follow. Surely there's a position in your new government for such a one as me. And I think the idea is he is to be selfless. He's to give the word of God and then get out of there in New Testament terms, not to pursue filthy lucre. A selfless man. He is a man also that must be equipped. There's a reference to the oil, verse number three. Then take the box of oil. Uh, allow me to spiritualize here. Oil is often a picture in the Word of God for the Spirit of God. He had to literally bring oil. I understand that. But when you see the messengers of God in the New Testament age, they must be equipped with the Spirit of God. They must labor in the fullness of the Spirit. They must be anointed to preach. There must be a Holy Ghost anointing upon men of God. Oh, people can stand up and they can repeat a sermon. And they can read a sermon. They can write some notes. And it may all be very orthodox. But we want men who are empowered with the Holy Ghost. And they bring the Holy Ghost into the pulpit. And they preach in the fullness of the Spirit of God. A sent man, a faithful man, a fearless man, a selfless man, and an equipped man. Please pray for such men. Earnestly earnestly pray for men who will feel that burden to be sent of God. And as those who are sent of God, they will then faithfully discharge the duty. Pray for us. Pray for those who are already in pulpits that they would know the help of God. Pray the words that Paul exhorts the Ephesian believers to pray. As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul tells the church to pray those prayers. You must pray those prayers. You must pray those prayers that God's word, having been entrusted to faithful messengers, will then be passed on in this generation. So God's word will continue from generation to generation. It is entrusted to faithful messengers. And it's interesting, one last picture here, and that is that God's word as we see it here is a message of grace and justice. The message was a word of judgment to the house of Ahab for their wickedness and for their idolatry. And yet at the same time, it was a word of grace. 
It was a word where God promised to avenge, verse 7, that he would avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets. God honors the testimony of his people. And though a church may suffer under the evil one for a season, and though a church may feel it's suffering and no one is noticing, God sees. I want to encourage you again. We ought to be praying for the persecuted church. Those churches are struggling in other lands. We know so little about them. We can barely begin to understand what they're experiencing. But there are parts of this world where it is incredibly difficult to be a Christian. And portions like this encourage us that though for a season their blood may be shed at the hands of Ahab's and Jezebel's, God is seeing every drop of that blood being shed. And they, as martyrs, they stand at the throne and they say, How long, O Lord? But they have the assurance, they have the assurance of God's word that he will vindicate his people and he will avenge their blood upon those who acted with such wickedness. And the message shows us both the grace and the justice of God. And that is the message we bring to a lost world, isn't it? Grace and justice. The sons of the prophets, those slain under Ahab, they only believed in the Lord because of God's grace. And they're kept by God's grace. And yet at the same time, there are those who act such wickedness that they will come under the wrath of God. Every generation hears the same word. Grace and justice. And the cross of Christ is, of course, the dividing point. Those who come under the blood shed upon that cross, they know the grace of God. And those who reject that and live in idolatry, they will come under the judgment of God. It's a strange portion, I appreciate that. But there's nothing new under the sun. God keeps on spreading his word. He keeps on using human instruments. And that word doesn't change in its essence. Grace to the undeserving and judgment upon those who reject his mercy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.